Hello, hello. We back, baby. Episode six. Episode six already of the Bentley Show. I am your host, Scott Bentley. Um, today we got plenty to talk about. Per usual, per per usual, we have plenty to talk about. Uh, we're gonna start with the Tigers. Pakoda dropped their uh, preseason. Uh, projections that's the word uh, standing projections um, they're slowly releasing their uh, projections for individual players as well so we'll get into those uh, but for today we're just going to talk about uh, their projections for the Detroit Tigers team in the year 2021 and what they think we are going to look like uh, then we made a couple of nice under the radar minor league signings that I like that we'll touch on uh, the Pistons, we're going to talk about that Nets game, baby. That Brooklyn Nets game that happened last night. Phenomenal game. Uh, we'll talk all about that. The Wings, we'll talk about the loss to the Florida Panthers. Uh, the good, the bad, the ugly. There's a lot of ugly because we are still not a very good hockey team. And the Lions hired another coach. And we're going to dap into Kenny Galladay's future with the team. So, again... Thank you so much for listening. That's the word. Thank you so much for listening. Welcome back. I am Scott Bentley. This is episode six of the Bentley Show. Let's get started. The Detroit Tigers are not good. As most of you know, we are not a very good uh, baseball team. We are not very good in any of these four sports currently, uh, which makes fandom very difficult. Uh, so, Picota, for those who don't know, uh, named after a former player, uh, but it's also an acronym that explains their formula. It's just, that's the name they pick. It's both. Um, it's an acronym and named after a former, uh, player, but essentially it's a bunch of baseball math nerds like myself that, uh, project team success and individual player success from season to season. It's super interesting. Uh, they've made a very legit name for themselves uh, in the in the baseball community. Baseball Prospectus, I believe, owns them now. Um, it's fun, man. It's super fun. Uh, it, it's a uh, it it's always starts a really good debate, um, and uh, and that's obviously what I love to do more than anything. If you ask Keith Law of the Athletic, he will tell you that I am, uh, you know. Uh, a POS that just insults and mocks everyone. But truly, I just like to have conversations about sports, thus this platform. Um, but anyway, not, not going to spend any more of my day worrying about Keith Law's opinion of me. That's taken up enough time. Um, so we are going to dive into it. The Pakota rankings for the Detroit Tigers. So basically how they do their team rankings is they run a boatload. I don't even know the exact number actually, but a ton of simulations. And then they take the average record of all of those simulations. And that's the projected record for the team. It's like hundreds of simulations though. It's, it's, it's a lot, a lot, a lot. Um, it might even be more than that. Uh, so the Detroit Tigers, they have projected as the fourth worst team in baseball. Uh, the only people they have worse, they have the Rockies 
uh, for starters. The Rockies, they actually have projected as the worst team in baseball. Now, a couple of things about Pakoda. One, they really – and this is no slight on it whatsoever. This is just uh, how their formula generally looks. Uh, they ha- uh, really like offense over pitching. Your pitching staff can be relatively weak, but if you have a solid offense, Pakoda is going to love you. Okay? Um, and just like any simulation, some uh, – in any formula, you know, any stat – some stats and formulas are going to benefit certain types of players than others. So this is no different. Some players you look and you're like, damn, I didn't really think they were they were like that. But, you know, Pakoda likes some players and doesn't like some players and likes some teams and doesn't like some teams. So uh, even though most people kind of think the Pirates will be the worst team in baseball, Pakoda is out here saying that it's going to be the Rockies. And they have, actually have the Rockies projected to lose, like, I think a, a, a full game or almost just under a full game um, more than Pittsburgh, which considering how many simulations they run is is honestly a pretty big uh, margin between the 30th team and the 29th team. That, that's pretty healthy. Um, so Colorado's the worst at, at 100, just under. Because there's so many simulations, they have decimals, right? Because um, that's how averages work. So at 30th, they have the Colorado Rockies with 101.7 losses. At 29, they have the Pittsburgh Pirates at 100.9 losses. And then the 28th ranked team is five whole wins better than the Pittsburgh Steelers, the Pittsburgh Pirates. So you have Colorado and Pittsburgh in a league of their own of awfulness, according to Pakoda. And then 28, 27, 26 are 28, Baltimore, 95.7. It's 27, Detroit, 95.4. So only three-tenths of a loss lower. And then 26 is Texas with 94.8, which is six-tenths of a loss uh, lower than us. So they kind of have broken up into tiers. They have Colorado and Pittsburgh being – and also another thing about Dakota, rarely do they have a team – project. you have to be really good or really bad to be over 100 wins or over 100 losses in Dakota. Even the best teams in baseball most years are projected at like 98 wins and even the worst teams, you know, the the bottom dwellers of of history uh, generally – only get projected to be 98, 99 losses. It takes it takes a special kind of horrible to be over 100, and they have two over 100. So that really tells you the current state of those two franchises. Uh, and then at the top, they have the Dodgers at like almost 103 wins, which is unreal. And the most unreal thing about it is that that is super rare for Pakoda to have a team with that many wins. And on top of that, it's probably underselling the Dodgers. That's how good the Dodgers are. That you can look at 103 and be like, damn, that never happens with this website, but also they're probably going to win even more than that if they stay healthy. Like the Dodgers are unreal. So we currently are projected to be 27th, 95.4 losses, according to Dakota. Um, look, I'll say right now, if the Detroit Tigers, given how this loss roster looks right now, if we finish six games ahead of anyone, I don't care if it's the Pirates, the Rockies, or your mother, if they finish six games ahead of anyone 
I will pour boiling hot water over my head. I, there is no way. There's no way. This team blows. This team is still horrible. Horrible, horrible, horrible. And look, it, it's crazy for me to be to be saying that they're overshooting on on 95 and a half losses. But unless we have a lot of signings left to do, which we don't, uh I don't see how this team loses less than 100 games. I don't. I do not see a world where this team has 99 or fewer losses with this current roster. Now, maybe the Rockies or the Pirates put together a, a, a 2019 Tigers and lose damn near 115 games or something ridiculous. Then we, we might be talking about possibly you know, maybe we can, we can beat one of those teams by six games, but I, I don't see how we, I don't see it. I, this team is horrible. I don't want to keep just reiterating myself, but this team is very, very, very bad. Um, I think a lot of stuff would have to go right for us to be in that low nineties win range. Um, that being said, we made a couple of signings that I actually really liked. And I don't want to drain the optimism out of people. Because just because we don't win a lot of games doesn't mean that a lot of good stuff is not happening on the diamond. There's going to be a lot of prospects pitching. Pitching? Well, we mostly have pitchers. There's going to be a lot of prospects playing this year. That'll be super exciting. There's a lot of, uh, as we're about to dive into, there's several signings that... I think uh, are super uh, interesting and are super um, could actually be pieces uh, that are part of this rebuild going forward and are part of the future plans for this team. Um, I'm not going to come on here and say anybody's going to be like a JD Martinez, but I I think there is a possibility that, you know, there's a couple of signings we made that I that I like that I that I can get behind. Okay, first off, Greg Garcia was signed to a minor league contract. I'm gonna assume 99% of people listening to this have no idea who Greg Garcia is, uh, because I would say 99% of people in the world don't know who Greg Garcia is. Um, Greg Garcia, utility infielder. Um, he has played for the Cardinals and the Padres, most recently the Padres, I believe. Um, and and look, he a he's a utility infielder. That's always nice to have. Sure, why not? Um, that being said, he actually at a base level, it doesn't look like he can hit. You look at his stats and you go, "Wow, this dude can't hit." What are we doing? Um, But looking at uh, his offensive numbers a little more in depth, he draws walks like a MFR. He draws walks like crazy, which is dope. I love that. 
especially as a guy who who comes off the bench, who's not an everyday starter. He can come in. He's knocked his ground ball rate is like over fifty percent. He's not going to hit for power. He's not going to hit the ball out of the infield really most times. He's just going to spike it in the ground and hope it gets through and finds a hole. That being said, when you're walking, uh, in 2019, he was in the 94th percentile in walks. I love it. I love it. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. Anyone who can provide utility at all infield positions as well as draw walks is going to hold value. So I like the signing. I really do. Uh, you know, he's probably if we play a full season, assuming we do, he's probably going to play like 60 to 75 games. Just going to come in, be a solid bench option when someone needs a day off. Um, he's not a he's not a plus defender, but he's not a negative defender really at any position. He's he's pretty pretty net zero, pretty mediocre defensively. So he's not going to be he's not going to hinder you defensively, and he's going to come in. He's going to get on base. To quote Moneyball, do I care if it's a walk or a hit? No, I do not. So I'm all for it. I'm all for it. <clears throat> That's a signing I really like, actually. Um, do I think he's going to turn into some monster at the plate? No. The, you know, his ceiling is probably utility infielder, uh, you know, that can come in, get you a couple ABs, and maybe walk, uh, get a, draw a walk out of your, you know, your, uh, your RBI guys. Uh, but, you know, I, I'm fine with it. I'm totally fine with it. The other signing we had, this one I'm extremely excited about. The Detroit Tigers have come to a minor league agreement with Renato Nunez. I'm assuming most people also don't know who Renato Nunez is. Uh, he played a lot of first base for the Baltimore Orioles last year. The Orioles had a surprisingly decent 2020 it was a shortened season I know but the fact remains they actually had a surprisingly pretty productive year especially offensively um Jose Iglesias was like Barry Bonds for half the season um and Renato Nunez is one of the reasons that they did so well at the plate he had an incredible season um his WRC plus was 120 phenomenal uh, he had 12 homers in 2020, 31 homers in a full 2019 season. Um, looking at his baseball savant page, which is like one of the greatest websites of all time. Um, looking at his baseball savant page, you'll see a lot of blue, which look at the end of the day, he got DFA'd by the Baltimore Orioles. So like, don't think that we're getting some, you know, guy who's going to step up and be an all-star immediately. Like, he, he was cut by one of the worst teams in the sport. Do not get that twisted. Um, that being said, we literally don't have a first baseman. We don't. We literally do not have anyone to play the position of first base. So, am I happy with this? Absolutely. freaking lutely um, His weight on base was mediocre. He strikes out a lot. He whiffs quite a bit. He doesn't walk a ton, but he also isn't like Jonathan Scope bad at drawing walks. Like he'll he'll get his walks seven percent walk rate. I want to say hard hit is average. His expected slugging is in the fifty fifth percentile, which is pretty pretty good. The biggest thing here is his barrel percentage. In twenty nineteen was seventy fifth percentile, and in twenty twenty was the eightieth percentile. This dude finds barrels for a living. 
He barrels balls up for a living. It's what he does, and he does it incredibly well. He's going to have some pop. He's going to have some pop at the plate. We have no one to play first base. He's probably going to make the team out of camp. He's probably going to be the starting first baseman relatively early on in the year. He's going to bring us some pop. He's not going to hit for an incredible average. Uh, He's really not even going to (laughs) hit for a lot of extra base hits. I I mean, his his expected slugging was was decent. He's going to... um, He's not going to hit for a high average. He's not going to be a BABIP guy. Uh, but that being said, he hit ball far, and he and he finds the barrel of the bat really well. Like, like better than, you know, better than 80% of baseball for two years in a row. So it's not a fluke of a 2020 thing. I really like this move. He's only 26. I think he, he genuinely could be a part of uh, – at a bare minimum, be a placeholder until we're competitive again. And and if everything goes according to plan, could even be, you know, a DH when Miggy retires type or a, a low-end first baseman if the rest of the lineup is solid. I really like this move. I think it, it has a lot of a, a – it's a high upside move. It has a lot of potential to be good. Um, and it's a minor league deal. So if he flops, it does not even freaking matter. Um, so – That'll do it for the Detroit Tigers. The Detroit Basketball Pistons. What a game. We take down having the 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 Brooklyn Nets. We take down the Nets. Oh, we took them down. What what a great game. Everybody looked fantastic. Everybody looked fantastic. We we took him down 122 to 111, I want to say. Um Great, great game of basketball. Everyone played well. Blake could have shot a little better, I guess, but pretty much everyone killed it. Uh, and yes, the Nets were without KD. Ask me if I care, because I don't, okay? Um, they still had Harden and Kyrie. And and it was Bruce Brown coming back. Oh, I miss that man so much. Um, what a great game of basketball. For starters, the defense looked pretty solid. Isaiah Stewart is... I, I I want to marry him. I love him. I love him. I love him. I love him. He looked very good defensively this game, which he's always going to get. He's proving to, to be uh, a very solid rebounder and a guy that's going to get a lot of rebounds for a very long time. Okay. But he's needed to work on defense, his defensive ability a little bit. And, and obviously has needed to work on his offense quite a bit. It all came together this game. He shot well. He had good opportunities. He got his boards, and he played really good defense down low. It's maybe his best game of his career so far. He looked phenomenal. I think, oh, man, I, I think the ceiling is so high for him, man. I, I am so excited for him, and it makes me so happy whenever he does literally anything. <laughs> um, I, I love him to death. The two biggest storylines of, of this game on the Pistons side, besides just getting the win. A, Sadiq Bay. A, Sadiq Bay. That kind of rhymed. That was kind of hard. A is Sadiq Bay. Sadiq Bay, if you remember, was traded on draft night. 
was originally technically drafted by the Nets, and then that pick was traded to us. So basically, they traded Sadiq Bey to us. He shot 100% from the field. Three of three from deep. Had 15 points off the bench. Shot 100%. And had a huge three late to pretty much put the game out of the reach and bury them. Honestly, he had an insane entire fourth quarter. His fourth quarter was a majority of his scoring. He went nutty. Sadiq Bay, what a revenge game. What a cool moment for him. Uh, and and like I've, I've praised him before, I think he is built for the league. He is so versatile. He can play the two through the four. Uh, I think his ceiling is being able to defend the two through the four. Uh, he can kind of bang down low. He showed, you know, he's not going to go up against a, a, you know, Jared Allen and 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 dominate him in the post. But like, um, he's a guy that if if you put a stretch four on him, he'll make him pay down low. He he proved it. He did it a couple of times in this game, and he's also a, a great shooter. Has you know got off to that really hot start shooting threes, and then obviously last night shot a hundred percent from behind the line. So. Um, this guy's built for the league, man. I'm not sure he's ever going to be some MVP all-star, but a 3 and D guy that can play the 2 through the 4, I'll be damned if that's not extremely valuable to a team. I think he's going to be in the NBA a very long time. And, uh, yeah, he's built for the league, man. I, I really think so. The, the biggest storyline, though, this probably should be A, is Jeremy Grant. Jeremy Grant is is – he, you might as well just give him comeback player of the year now. Why do we even have to wait? Not not comeback. Is most improved, I guess you would even say. It's not it's not really a comeback player of the year thing. Most improved player of the year. That's what I'm trying to say. You might as well give him it now. You might as well. He was good last year. He was really good last year. The Nuggets offered him the same amount of money we did. He had multiple suitors at the price he was signed for. No one expected this. His entire career before Detroit, he had zero 30-point games. He has like five or six this year. He's a great defender. He's pulling up and shooting with the best of them. Uh, His versatility is unreal. Today, Brooklyn was definitely his most complete game. I think he had five boards, four assists. The passing was solid. He's always, he's long enough. He's always going to be relevant on the boards. He's an incredible defender. And he's scoring at the best clip. A better clip than anyone ever could have imagined. When we signed him. Uh, I love him, man. And we need to get him in the freaking all-star game. Because he deserves it. Like hell, he deserves it. Oh my gosh. There's very few people that deserve it more. So we need to vote. Vote, 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 vote. Please, for the love of everything, vote for Jeremy Grant for the All-Star Game. What an incredible story. What an incredible story. And what an incredible game. Like I said, man, that's that's one of those games. What, what are we doing? Like, <laughs> we're... We're, we have the worst record in the NBA, yet like almost all of our wins are against like title contenders. 
taken down the Lakers. We've taken down the Seas. We've taken down the Nets. Even the game we lost to the Lakers, we took them to double overtime. Like, what are we? This is the most, this is the best worst team in NBA history. I know that's been said a ton of times by, by other people, but like, it's true. We are the best worst team ever. It's insane. It is absolutely insane to me how we, we, we play to our competition, but you can't even really say that. Like we just lose to everybody unless Vegas has you as at at least like 800 to one odds to win the title. It's the most insane thing I've ever seen. And I love every second of it because it's getting these, um, it's getting these, these young kids experience against playing against really good teams, getting in the rotation against really good teams and seeing how to beat really good teams while also maintaining the tank. It's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. I'm so happy uh, that this is one of the most, um, how do I even word it? It's some of the most enjoyable Pistons basketball I've watched in like anything. Anything. That doesn't make sense. Some of the most enjoyable Pistons basketball I've watched in years. We've been mediocre, hanging in the middle, not rebuilding, not being a contender for a decade. We're finally rebuilding, and it's more fun than the pit of mediocrity and being the eighth seed and getting swept, truly. It's awesome. And I can't wait for Dennis Smith Jr. to roll up and add to it, baby. I cannot wait. I cannot wait. Um... That, anything else on the Pistons? Vote for Jeremy Grant. Please vote for Jeremy Grant. Isaiah Stewart is awesome. Uh, Wayne Ellington, we still have to wait to see what kind of return he's going to get because he'll absolutely get flipped too. I talked about the Derrick Rose trade in the last one. If you want my opinion of that, I think the Pistons won the trade immensely. Not, not that the Knicks lost it, but I think our return was very good is what I'm trying to say. Um... Yeah, Wayne Ellington's return will be interesting. That's probably going to happen in the next couple of weeks, I'd imagine. Uh, If we can even get um, a decent second-round pick for that, I will be uh, very happy. Um, Yeah, I think that's it for the Detroit Pistons. Fun game. Very fun game. Fun win. And... uh, We move on, baby. The tank continues, but also, if you're thinking about winning a title, your dreams die in Detroit first, okay? It's a rule. All right, the Detroit Hockey Red Wings played the Florida Panthers last night. Um, Not great. Not great. Like, okay. We've we've looked a lot worse. Okay, I'm not trying to say this is some this is one this is far from one of our worst games. We've looked a lot worse historically, um, in in the past two years specifically. Even this season, we've looked a lot worse. Here's the thing, and I feel like I've said this a million times, but it keeps remaining to be true. So I'm going to keep saying it until it's wrong. This offense is actually not that bad. This defense is one of the worst things I've ever watched in any area of any sport I've ever rooted for. 
I hope I got my point across. <laughs> it's it's bad, man. It is bad. The Panthers, they didn't even score on it. They had a four-on-one at one point last night. How is that even possible? Truly. Think about how unbelievably hard it is to have a four-on-one at the NHL level. It wasn't even off a turnover. They were just on neutral ice, and then (laughs) four-on-one. Wasn't during a line change, wasn't off a turnover, just had a four-on-one. I I just want to personally apologize to Grice in in that. And Bernier, but Bernier's hurt currently. What he has to put up with, is unbelievable. Like the fact that his save percentage, you know, at one point was over. It might still be, but ah, the second goal last night might have put it under. He's around 90% on the season. The fact that he is even around that is a is a testament to how good he is between the pipes. Because this defense blows. Blows. So, thank you. Thomas Grice for putting up with this nonsense uh, and and keeping your composure in there. Um, That being said, on a more positive note, the offense is actually not bad. It's not. Here's the thing. The offense is just at that point in the rebuild, right, where you, you, you're getting opportunities. We outshot them by 10 last night. 32 shots on 22 shots. We lost 2 to 1. This is a a I'm trying to figure out how to articulate it. This this is just the point in the rebuild where we are we are more talented than we were last year. We're starting to see an upswing. And in, in especially on the offensive end, man, this offense actually looks halfway decent. So we're getting pressure, and we had a lot of pressure last night. We spent a lot of time in their zone, but we don't have the personnel yet. We're just not far along in the rebuild. We don't have the personnel on this roster to take advantage of set opportunities that we are creating at this point. We're on an upswing. We absolutely are, are better than we were last year. It's hard not to be. The offense is is actually kind of respectable. That being said, we we simply just don't have the players on the team yet to take advantage of those opportunities and put the puck in the back of the net. That's all. That's just where we're at right now. And it's not it's not a, a, a slight on anyone. It's not a it's nobody's fault, I guess. Like, as, as much as I think Blashill needs to go and, and, you know, Blash to the trash, like, as, as much as, as that's still my mindset, that is not even on Blashill. This is just, we're a young team, we're an up-and-coming team, we're still in the middle of a rebuild. Uh, these are the kind of games, a rebuilding loss is what I call it. These are the kind of games where a year and a half to two years from now, we win this game by a goal or two. Just we don't have the pieces yet. Don't have the pieces yet offensively. 
Um, the other thing that's horrible, though, is <laughs> just back to negativity, uh, is the power play. The power play is a joke. And that's famously has been a joke, right? That this is this is not new or news to anyone. Um, this is this is this power play is is unbelievably horrible. So, uh, like I often sit up late at night and ask myself, what's worse, the defense or the power play? <laughs> Um, and, and I have trouble coming up with an answer, which I think is maybe even sadder because they're both so, so unbelievably horrible. Um, I don't want to just keep talking about nonsense here, but the power play is horrible. The penalty kill obviously failed. That's the reason we lost. I mean, we lost cause we couldn't score, but that's how they got the lead rather um, so the PK was tough. The, the man, the power play it's here's the thing with the power play. It again, we're in their zone. We're in their zone. You know, as you know, last year on the power play, we were, we were giving up short handers and they, they were, they, it, it looked like, it looked like we had to be on the power play to make it an even strength game. That's what it looked like last year. At least this year, we're in their zone. We're applying pressure. It's just no one can get the puck in the back of the net. And again, we're just not we're just not at a point where personnel wise we have the pieces to, to take advantage of those opportunities yet. But I will say I'm impressed with the opportunities we're getting. I think we actually are coming up and and putting together a really respectable offensive product, which is something I haven't been able to say in a couple of years. The defense is still horrid. Um, individual players, Giovanni Smith had a pretty quiet game, which is rare for him. Uh, but he had a pretty pretty quiet game. Had a really bad turnover at one point. Um, pretty pretty quiet game. Mantha had like three shots in a row at one point, all one timers from the crease, and and uh, I'm pretty sure Bobrovsky padded all of them. I want to say. He definitely knee padded two of them, but he had four shots on the night and three of them were all in like a 30 second stretch. Um, and then besides that, Mantha was kind of just like out there. Um, we're still trying to kind of see a little bit more out of Mantha. I'd still want to see more. I want to see more. Um, this is a guy that I thought that I still think has the potential to be a goal game player. And it's just, man. I just want him to be good so bad. I, I think his scoring ability, he, he might be the most talented player on the Red Wings. It just it doesn't look like it every night. Larkin was nice. Larkin was solid. Uh, I believe he had the assist on the one goal. Um, yeah, Larkin. And, and look, Larkin Larkin is, is Larkin. He's going to bring it. The, the post game, he's back to baby face, by the way, which I think is interesting. Um, but he, uh, you know, those post-game interviews break my heart, man. He, he clearly just wants to win and it's so tough to be the captain of such a bad team. I, I can't imagine. Um, Zadina, that was a hell of a goal. That was a hell of a goal. Um, he's, he's going to be so good, man. 
He's going to be so good. Some people jumped off the bandwagon of him when he wasn't putting up like, like hat tricks in, in like his, his debut games. People are like, Oh, this is not the guy we wanted. I can see why he fell to us in the draft, blah, blah, blah. He's good, man. He's good. Um, that goal was was interesting. Uh, his 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 goal was interesting. Um, he set himself up super nicely. That was a super nice move. Kicked it off the skate to set him up. Set himself up uh, off the skate and then put it in the back. Uh, the thing is, Bobrovsky just went mind brain neutral there. He he. That is that is not a goal that should have gone in. We probably should have got shut out. And Bob played on his head in in the second and third periods. But man, that first period he really looked bad, and that was kind of the exclamation point of how bad he looked. He, I don't know if he just didn't pick it up or if he didn't realize that he had kicked it off his sta- skate and the puck was back on the end of his stick. I don't know what happened, but he. He got him right just under the armpit, and Bob didn't even move. He he just, like, like after the puck was already in the back of the net, that like, he, he must just not have picked it up or something because it was really bad goaltending there um, by, a, a, by a, you know, one of the best goaltenders of, of probably the last decade. And, yeah, obviously he's taken a, a mighty fall the last two years. But, um, you know, that's, that's still a, a – a great goalie that doesn't, you know, if he if he if he gives up shots, it's not looking like that. That's for sure. Um, so Zadina, that was nice. Um, I'm trying to think of any other individual performances. Grice, man, again, I I just feel bad for him. It's four on ones, bro. Like that. That's and he 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 saved that one. The four on one didn't even end up as a goal. It's just my gosh. Um, the, also, I think everyone, I just want to reiterate this and then we'll head on to the Lions. Um, I want to reiterate that Brome and Smith getting sent down to the taxi squad every game and then called back up. We need to stop getting mad about that. Um, it's because they're two way players. It saves the team money if they're not permanently on the team and they go down and up like that. And because of COVID, there's no limit to how many times you can go down and up and they don't have to clear waivers because, again, they're two-way players. So if you were to send another player down that was a full-time NHLer, they would have to clear waivers and such, and that's just not something that's going to happen. So so we we need to collectively – and I was was right there with everybody at at the beginning of this. I was like, why is he just not on the roster the whole time? Um, He's – playing every game you know uh, until he until he gets sent down and then doesn't get called back up then we can be mad we can be pissed we can talk about how they're trying to lose and and how stupid Blashill is okay but until they don't get recalled back up we just need to let them be it's just it's going to be clockwork it's going to happen at the end of every game and they're going to get recalled six hours before the start of the next game it's just going to happen because that's how their contracts are set up and that's how this weird year they're taking advantage of this weird ass season that that's in our presence. So 
No need to freak out. Like I said, unless they send Giovanni Smith should be playing every game. I know he has to get sent down and up and down and up and down and up. And, and like I said, that's, that's, I think that is a valid reason to do what they're doing. I think there is a valid reason. That being said, if, if he gets sent down and stays down, then we riot because he absolutely deserves to be playing every night. Absolutely deserves to be playing every night. He has been, he's a two way player that didn't start the season, you know, on the roster. And he's been one of the best players. He absolutely deserves it. So, until that happens, let's just let's just trust that that if he gets sent down, he's going to come back up. All right, let's just trust that for now. All right, lastly, the Detroit Football Lions. Uh, two, really only two things to talk about um, over the last couple of days. One... We have officially signed Antoine Randall L2 be the wide receivers coach of the Detroit Lions. This is this is a, a long line of former players uh, being hired to be coach of this team. Campbell and Holmes clearly have a vision, and that is to bring accountability and, and former players into this locker room. This is just a long line of that. Antoine was the man back in the day. Uh had a solid, respectable NFL career. I think he played eight or nine years. Uh, I remember him for Pittsburgh. I'm pretty sure he played for the Washington football team, I want to say. Um, but but most people remember him for the Steelers. But then even before that, he was a dog at Indiana. A dog. You want to have a fun evening, go look up uh, Randall L. Indiana uh, highlights or just look up his stats. Dude was nutty. Um, pretty sure he made all conference uh, a couple of times, all big 10, a couple of times. He, he was, he was the, he was that dude back in, uh, back in the collegiate days. Um, and again, not to say he wasn't in the NFL, he had a really solid NFL career, but he was a dog second round pick. Whew. He was a dog back at Indy, man. He was a dog. Um, so this is I love this hire, and again I've loved all the coaching hires. Honestly, I, I think we have, I think I say the same thing about the Tigers. I think we tripped and fell into one of the best coaching staffs in football, and the head of it is still a big question mark. Admittedly, Dan Campbell is still a giant, giant question mark. I'll be the first to to, to admit that, but the pieces they have put around him, if he doesn't succeed. It's not going to be anyone else's fault but his own. <coughs> Excuse me. It's not going to be anyone else's fault but his own if he doesn't exceed because the rest of this staff they have put around him I think is phenomenal. Phenomenal. I can't get over how how happy I am about both sides of the ball and, and even like this, signings like this, hires like this, you know, individual position coaches. I just, I love it. I love it. I love it. I love the culture that they're trying to instill here. I love the just the the feel. And I know, man, it sounds like I'm drinking the blue Kool-Aid, which which Lord knows I've been let down. But I don't expect this team to win. That being said, I, I say the same thing about the Lions I say about the Tigers, man. You can instill a winning culture and not win games. 
It's possible. It takes a hell of a head coach. It takes a hell of a system, but it's possible. And I think A.J. Hinch is going to do that in Detroit. And I'm starting to have faith that this coaching staff can do that in Detroit with the Lions as well. You can lose and still have everybody in, in your locker room wake up every morning and when they show up to work, believe that they're going to win. The 2019 Tigers did not. They didn't. And Lord knows plenty of Lions teams have not. But the most recent and obvious, I should say, example of that is the 2019 Tigers. You can tell they showed up to work. They expected to lose. There was no emotion when they took a lead because they all expected to blow it. Team lost 114 games. You can, you can suck and you can lose. Jim Leland had a great quote when he took over as, as manager of the Tigers in 06. That team was three years removed from the second worst season in the history of baseball at 119 losses and was in the World Series. And early on, the Tigers got off to a hot start and they kind of started fading in late May, early June. I talked about this with uh, Chris Castellani the other night. It started fading. And somebody asked Leland about it. And he went off. He said it's unacceptable. It's ridiculous. This player, this player. To the national, to the, not national, but to the Detroit media, to their faces, called individual players out and said these people are responsible and need to be better. And everybody's like, whoa. This is clearly not Alan Trammell anymore. And at the end, he said, we're going to play this game with accountability. And we're going to try and win every day. And I don't know. And, and the end of the, this is the important part. The end of this quote, he said, I don't know how things were done before. But they're sure as hell not going to be done that way anymore. That is the kind of mindset that you're looking for in a coach especially on a rebuilding team. And I think that this coaching staff that they have brought, truly, I think that that's the kind of, the kind of mindset we can instill in, these, in this. It, culture is such a, a, a buzzword now. It's something to get clicks, and it's something that you know, people like to say to sound smart. But the, it's, I'm just <laughs> basically going to call myself an idiot. It's important. It's so important when you have a rebuilding team. It's so important. You don't go from, from and that's why I get so t- frustrated with the Tigers rebuild. You don't go from just sucking for half a decade and then waking up one offseason and going, well, I guess we're going to try to be good now and just spend a lot of money and call all the prospects up. It's not how it works in any sport. You don't just go from, well, you know, Patricia culture of, oh, I hate this guy. I don't want to play for this dude. I don't even want to play well because I hate this mf for so much. To waking up one morning and going, oh, well, you know, I'm the starting outside linebacker, but looking at the rest of this roster, I think we could actually be good now, so now I'm going to start giving a damn. It's not how it works. You instill that culture when you're bad so that when you're good, it's, your, your job remains the same. You treat, you treat, uh, you know, this 
pro, pro, look at our schedule. Oh my gosh, our schedule release too. It's brutal. Um, we're about to go on what's probably going to be a, a season that ends, lands us a top three pick in the draft next year. Right? It's important to have the same mindset every day when you're going through that season than you are when you come out at the other side of the tunnel and you're a playoff team. That's so important and so overlooked. And um, I realized the last five minutes I've probably sounded like the most cliche dude on the planet, but I, I truly believe that that is a very important part of, part of coaching. And at, at a very minimum, you just got to get people bought in. You got to have people bought in. You got to have your players believe in the system. And again, you can lose 13 games and still have a winning culture. I know it sounds weird, but that's real and true. You can lose 100 games in baseball and still have a winning culture. A.J. Hinch literally did it with the Astros. You play competitive games that you just don't have the talent to get over the hump with yet, you end up losing. You're going to wake up the next day. Go about your week of practice. Practice like you're going to win. Lose again on Sunday. Don't let it phase you. Practice again. Practice like you're going to win. Again, I realize how cliche and cheesy this all sounds. I totally understand. You can go ahead and make fun of me. That is fine. But that I, th I truly think that that is, that is super important. And I... The reason that I'm I'm not drinking the Kool-Aid on being a good team this year, but I'm drinking the Kool-Aid on this coaching staff being the coaching staff that makes us relevant again in a couple of years. I'm very excited for the staff. This is just a long line of, of successful hires, in my opinion, that we have made this offseason. Last thing we're going to talk about for the Lions and for the show, Kenny Galladay. Kenny, Kenny, Kenny. Um, I'll start off by saying this. I love Kenny Galladay, as I'm pretty sure everybody does. Um, Kenny Galladay, it's weird. I, I'm not even sure I have an answer for what I want us to do with him, which I know is, is kind of the whole point of having a show, so like I apologize, but... I kind of just more want to break down all the different possibilities that could happen with him because there are low-key a ton. So, for starters, I think this is the most likely. Um, I think the most likely scenario is we tag him this year and then he's not on the team, whether that's not re-signing or via a trade. He's not on the team in 2022. I think that is probably... The most realistic, maybe I shouldn't say most realistic. I think that has the highest percent chance of happening. I think we're going to tag him this year because he's going to have to. A, we don't have any other wide receivers. Um, and B, he, he's damn good. He, he deserves whatever the tag is going to be set of this year. He deserves it. He's, he's a damn good player. Um, so I think you tag him this year. And then assuming he stays healthy, I think you can get to a point where you get to the trade deadline halfway through next year. And you say, okay, we can flip him, try to get some picks, half a year of control for a, for a 
you know, Pro Bowl caliber wide receiver, sure. Can give you give you a couple mid round picks, maybe, mid or late round picks. You're not gonna get a first out of them or anything like that, but you know, the nice third third, fourth round pick, third fourth and a seventh, something like that, you know. Which is valuable. Especially if you're not gonna re sign him anyway. Um so I'm gonna start with that. I think that's that that's the possibility that's the greatest chance of happening. Um you also could just extend him. And I wouldn't be opposed to this because if you look at the wide receiver room, uh, no one is under contract past this upcoming season. Not one wide receiver on this team is under contract past the 2021 season. So if you were to pay him and give him a five-year deal, at least, you know, at least we're gonna have <laughs> we're gonna have a wide receiver, so that's nice. Um, now I, with the golf deal, and we still got some some money floating around on the defensive end too. I'm not sure how willing the front office is going to be of of spending that m- much money on a team that's gonna suck. But again, we literally don't have a receiver locked up after next year. Next season, I should say. So, I'm, I'd be okay with it, you know, if if, if the salary was was uh, of correct value, and I agreed with the with the with the valuation of, of how much he's getting paid. I guess I'd be fine with it. Um, it's just I don't really know if I see the front office doing that um, with a rebuilding team having that much money locked up in like four players would be an interesting decision. Not one I'd be opposed to, though. Um, then we have, we just let him go this year, which I don't think is happening. Um, you can't trade him right now because he's not under contract. <laughs> um, so you can't trade him right now. You could tag him and then trade him, I guess. But I think it's more likely because of how much time he missed that you, if you were to tag him, you would not be able to trade him until... Um, other teams saw him play at the start of next season. Um, so I think that's probably, again, going back to the original one, more likely than, like, we literally can't move him right now, again, because he, he literally <laughs> can't trade someone with zero years of, of control. Um, there is a slight probability that we just – don't bring him back. We don't re-sign him. We don't tag him. We say we don't want to spend money. We're going all in on the rebuild. Um, I, hmm. I don't think I would be down for that. And I would understand the logic. But I think it just makes way more sense to tag him, bite the bullet on an expensive one-year deal. Because... Look, even if, okay, let's just say, let's just say he sucks. Or, or maybe not even that he sucks. Let's just say that he, okay, well, yeah, let's say he sucks. Let's say he sucks. He's worth nothing at the deadline. Okay, we overpaid for one year. We let him walk at the end of the season. Doesn't hurt our cap for the future. It's a one-year thing. We're not bringing in any big name free agents this offseason anyway. 
we can afford to bite the bullet on a one-year deal, as long as it is only a one-year deal, okay? Then, let's say he the injury problems come back up. Same logic, as, as just stated. Doesn't really matter. As long as it's a, a, a one-year thing, right? As long as it's a franchise tag, that's not a problem. Doesn't really matter. You can more than afford to bite the bullet and, and eat that salary, take your L, and then have it completely off the books going forward. Okay? Again, paying, paying Kenny this year does not matter because we are not in the mix for any big-name free agent at all. We're in the middle of a rebuild. And and the, the reward of getting anything for him at the deadline, anything, even if it's a, a sixth-round pick, I'd rather have a sixth than, than have him be on the team one year on a, on a three- or four-win team and then just walk for nothing. If we were competitive, obviously I'd want us to pay him. We aren't. So I think the value play is to tag him and flip him. Now, whether you flip him week three or week eight, I don't give a damn. Whatever gets you the most value. But it makes, I think the best value play is tagging him. And then, you know, because even if you trip and and this won't happen, I'm not trying to get anyone's hopes up. But then let's just say by some Christmas miracle, Santa Claus comes down from the heavens and wishes everybody in Detroit one wish, and we say, Lions be good. And he says, okay, bet. Like, then, you know, we have have a number one receiver. And again, that's not going to happen. We're not going to be competitive. This team blows. This defense is unrepairable currently. But the, the versatility that comes with tagging him is way greater than just letting him walk for, like, no money. So that's my opinion. I guess I've talked myself into it. At the beginning, I said I wasn't really sure what I even wanted to do. I think I talked myself into it. I want us to tag him. What we do after that is all situational, circumstantial. But at a bare minimum, I think you tag him. And then look, even if you tag him and then you don't move him at the deadline and you talk with his agent, you think you can get a bargain off of him. Well, then there you go. You tag him, and then next offseason you extend him. That's a whole nother avenue that's possible. I think the versatility, this is the same way I talked about why I think the Rams trade was the best deal we got. The versatility that comes with two round picks and the the amount of things you can do with two first round picks is much better than just getting eight this year. It's the same thing. Tagging him opens, what do we just say, four different avenues, three, four different avenues you could take with him for the future. Letting him walk for nothing, obviously, is is only one option, and it's that. And extending him now, uh, again, I wouldn't be opposed to it. That's like my middle-of-the-road option. You know, at least we'd, again, at least we'd have a receiver under contract past tomorrow, but like, I think if you want to extend him, he didn't really play this year because of the injury. Why would you not tag him, make sure he's good, and then extend him? 
I don't know. I think tagging him makes a lot of sense. I think tagging him makes a lot of sense. All right. That will do it for this episode, which means that will do it for this show. Episode six of the Bentley show is in the books. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for listening. The support continues to be immense. I've had a lot of people reach out to me about other opportunities and stuff, and that's all due to this. So I am I am so happy uh, that I got to do this. I'm so happy that I have an audience that wants to listen. I have people asking me when episodes are dropping and stuff. Um, I'm I'm here's the thing. Also, I just want to make this clear. The reason that there's no like set time on when it comes out currently is because like I could have, I'm recording this on Wednesday. Usually I like to record the day before so I can edit, upload it overnight. It's in your ears whenever you wake up. But last night was weird because, and so was Monday. I I, I wasn't going to record before the big game, the big NFL game. Okay. I wasn't going to record before that. I, I wanted to talk about that obviously. And then again with today, I could have recorded this yesterday, but the Wings and Pistons played Tuesday night. I, I, I would have had nothing to talk about for the Pistons and the Wings had I recorded before those two games and they both played. Um, so the reason that you know some days are later than others is just really look at the schedule the night before and you'll see, okay, well, if, if three teams – all play the night before. He's probably going to record in the morning. If nobody plays tonight, it's recorded and it'll be up. I, I'm trying to get more consistent. I'm trying to get more, um, you know, recording earlier in the day. So that even on days that I do record the day of, I can still get it out a little bit earlier. But it's hard for me to, uh, you know, the difference between those two things is great. And, and I need as much to talk about as possible. So if if two teams play in the same night, it's, it's yeah. Uh, you know, most more times than not, I'm going to need to, to record it the day of. So that's all. But thank you again. We're here. Episode six in the books. Um, like I said, thank you so much for listening. You know, review. If, if your platform lets you review and leave comments and stuff, please do. It means the world. I, I've already had quite a few and then they've been overwhelmingly positive so far. Um, if your name is Keith Law, please don't reply or leave a review because I know yours will be negative. Um, if you don't know what I'm talking about, uh, basically, I Keith Law is a baseball writer and I disagreed with him on something and he freaked out and cried about it. So that's fun. Um, anyway, peace and love. <laughs> Going to therapy's dope. Peace and love. Uh, Thank you for listening. I will be back in your eyes and ears Friday. Go Detroit Sports, baby.